Comic Timing is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 154 of Comic Timing, a comics podcast voted to the average comic book fan from the average comic book fan. Joining in as a rotating panel of guests and myself, Ian Levinson, discuss whatever comes to mind, time after time, here on Comic Timing. It's Days of Future Past weekend, and it's Memorial Day weekend, so why not record a podcast about X-Men? It makes sense, doesn't it? Here now, Comic Timing. Hey there, folks. My name's Ian Levinstein, and welcome to episode 154 of Comic Timing. Brent Casina is busy with baby stuff, but uh, I, I got I got a good uh, tag team joining me on the episode. Uh, nonetheless, it's been forever since we have recorded an episode together, and I figured this is a good time to bring him back in. Joining us first, the first half of the Raging Bullets podcast, Mr. Sean Whalen. Sean, how are you? And you're right, it's been too long, and it's really, really good to be back talking to you again. Oh, dude, for sure, for sure. And we're also joined by Jim. I'm the best there is at what not I do, and what not I do is not very nice. Sensei of the what not seculate. Outstanding, outstanding. You get a for that one, buddy. I, I was thinking about that all day. How's it going, Jim? Oh, it's going great, man, going great. Good, good, good. And as usual, we're sponsored by DCBS Discount Comic Book Service at DCBService.com, where you can get 40% off all of your single issues at Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, and Image, and 50% off plenty of Marvel and DC trades, and some extra discounts there on particular books month by month. And make sure to go to their Comixology store as well to save extra on your physical order, which is one of the coolest things about DCBS. Thank them for their sponsorship, dcbservice.com. So, X-Men. It's great that I got the DC guys on to talk about X-Men, because I, f- <laughs> I figure that that's a, a nice variety. You don't get to talk about that as much as, as you'd like. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this, because it's, um, for me, it's funny when you talk about where the DC guys, when we originally were going to start at the podcast, it was a coin toss between Marvel and DC. Okay. Andy Spinner Rack was already out doing, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the indie thing. Yeah. And nobody was doing the big two. And I went with the underdog. I'm a Batman guy. I love Batman. But obviously, out of the two companies, DC's been the underdog to right. Marvel. Mm-hmm. And um, it could have very easily gone the other way because I love the X-Men. So the uh, the opportunity to come on and, and chat about the X-Men is real welcome. <laughs> I'm excited for this. <laughs> well, where where'd you start out with the X-Men, Sean? What, what was your uh, introduction? Uh, well, it was Spider-Man and his amazing friends, really, because uh, it was 81, that cartoon was out, and then I was at French's Pharmacy, and you know, as kids, we didn't know who had budgets, <laughs> so, <laughs> and I saw X-Men 160, the cover with uh, Belasco's hand going down on the team, mm-hmm. and I, I was just captivated by the cover, it just looked really cool, and I happened to have the change, and I picked it up, and it was nice because it was a real self-contained issue. Right. So for somebody who was very new to it, you saw this story where they were transported to limbo, and you got to see older versions of the team, and it was very dark. <laughs> and I just I was really drawn into the colorful cast of characters, the well-written personalities, and the family feel of the group. Mm-hmm. So that was that, and I it was honestly an addiction that grew out of that, that I, I used that to go back and try to get as many of the issues that were before it and kept going all the way through afterwards for many, many years. Jim, how about you? Well, um, I go back to, uh, X-Men number two, you know, from the very 
old, 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 old times because I'm just that old. But, <laughs> you know, seriously, I was, um, yeah, I was a little kid in Cub Scouts, uh-huh. and our troop was doing the uh, candy sales. And the troop contacted uh, maybe Diamond or maybe Marvel or somebody and got some free comic books to give out as prizes to certain rewards. Nice. And Marvel had just done a re-release of the original uh, book. So I've got X-Men number two, and I'd been a fan of superheroes. I had no idea who the X-Men were, but it was a group. So I was like, oh, okay, plus it was a free comic, so I'm reading this. I thought, oh, this is kind of neat. And you know, a little while later, I was in the store, and I see an X-Men book. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know those guys. Let me get this. And I'm, so I'm in the 80s. Now, you got X-Men 2, which was one thing, and then you've got your 80s X-Men. Oh, boy. Dramatically different teams. <laughs> I'm going, wait. Beast has blue fur. When did that happen? And uh, Iceman's not made of snow. He's actually made of ice. What's going on here? And, and that was it. I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. And I, I've i been, you know, up until Raging Bullets, I was an X-Men Marvel reader more than I was a DC reader. So okay. it was kind of funny that, you know, I'm now known as the DC guy, but, you know, my heritage does come from the X-Books. Here's my question with you were just saying, because... Um, you said that you start off with a reprint of X-Men 2, the original X-Men 2, but it was in the 80s that you jumped on the team. What was the team configuration? Like, what X-Men was it? Because the 80s saw a lot going on with the X-Men. Oh, God, yeah. Where did I, you have to start? It was Cyclops, Cyclops Storm, Beast. And I'm trying to remember. Uh, Wolvie was on the team already. Mm-hmm. Was, this, and, uh, was this pre-Dazzler or post-Dazzler? It was uh, this was uh, pre okay, this is pre Dazzler. Mm-hmm. Oh God! And I, it's funny I don't even remember the specific issue because I would pick I couldn't consistently get an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like you know you're you're at the uh, the grocery store, you're at the convenience store, whatever. You can maybe get one issue here, one issue there. So I was like my the first you know beginnings of my uh, run was like one issue, one issue, one issue. So there's no consistency in the story. But was I always it still pre- a single title? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah it was still just Uncanny X-Men. Pre-New Mutants. Yeah, oh, def- pre-New Mutants, okay. pre-Factor Force, the other X title. This was just Uncanny X-Men by themselves. Pre-Wolvie Solo series. Gotcha. Um, pre, and actually it was pre that uh, Wolf, the uh, Wolvie... Uh, that uh, limited series of his. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, the Frank Miller one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was pre that. So you know, I was just really getting into it. It was the, the blue the blue and gold Wolvie costume was the initial, you know, was one I was dealing with initially yep. and stuff like that. And, yeah. I, I got in, uh, I mean, obviously, since I'm a little bit younger than you guys, uh, <laughs> I, I really started getting into the X-Men. It was a combination of things, one being the animated series, uh, because that was a, a lot of people's uh, initiation into the X-Men at the time, just because it was, you know, it was right there. You turn on Fox Kids in the morning, and there was this, you know, colorful, exciting, adventurous uh, animated series out there. And it was it was pretty much as close to the comics as you could get with it being uh, a, a, an animated series for kids. You know, they did a really good job of, uh, of transferring over a bunch of the, uh, the storylines into the comics. And sure, there would be some changes here and there. Like, I mean, you know, not once did they even bother trying to say that uh, the cable was, uh, 
Cyclops' kid or anything like that, but, you know, he would show up from time to time, and they did some Days of Future Past type stuff in the in the uh, animated series, and they did a, a, their own version of the Phoenix Saga, which, amusingly enough, uh, ended in the fashion that the Phoenix Saga was originally going to end, which we might touch on later on in this episode. Yeah, no, and, and that was really my, my initiation, but as I've told this story many times before, the first comic that I've ever, that I really remember picking up at the stands was at a comic shop that is, you know, long disappeared, at a movie theater that no longer exists, thanks New York City and getting rid of all of my, my childhood, essentially. <laughs> uh, th- there was the, uh, the, the Kingsway Movie Theater right around the corner from, from where I grew up on, uh, on Kings Highway and Coney Island Avenue, and it's now a Walgreens, so that's, that's, that's some great gentrification right there. Um, but uh, attached to it was AAA Comics and Cards, right there on the corner and uh, they they were not in that location long they moved down the block a couple of years later but i picked up uncanny x-men number 300 with the shiny cover and the uh and the holofoil and john romita jr art and uh, frank nicieza but I, I believe was writing it at the time and uh the that was the the gold team so it had bishop on the team and storm and uh, cyclops was not really around but he was occasionally around because he was technically part of the blue team uh, you had Jean Grey and, and a whole bunch of other uh, characters mixed in there as well. I think uh, Rogue was a member of the team and Gambit, if I remember correctly. So it, it just it, it, would, it sucked me in immediately. And it, it was funny because if I remember correctly, 300 was actually part of an ongoing arc. And yet it was based enough because I guess they had a feeling that people would, you know, just pick it up because it was a special issue that it was easy enough to, to follow. And that that got me going from there. And I would I would do my best to go to the shop and pick up issues after that and I, I i managed to get a decent amount of of issues in a row after that like i remember getting i think everything from like 300 all the way to up, up to like 320 uh just by going to the shop after that and that was that was my introduction um it was fabian Nicieza because when you were fabian, saying I, right, exactly, right, right, I, exactly right. What you, I know exactly what you were talking about but i think we're spoiled now I think we're so spoiled in the accessibility of comics now. And I don't mean that in a negative way at all. Sure. I love that. Um, we're spoiled in a good way. Mm-hmm. But back then, you didn't always have the luxury of being able to get the issues that preceded a story. So if you jumped right. in in the middle of an arc, that was very common as a reader to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you would you know, hopefully be able to continue on and keep getting that series sequentially. But, you know, we all had times where you missed an issue or two here or there and you just (laughs) you were doomed. I mean, that was it. You continued on and you kept reading the book because you loved it. And you would try to, through character dialogue, fill in the puzzle pieces that you had (laughs) as far as what was going on. But it worked. It somehow always worked. Even when you jumped on, the storyline was usually there was enough revealed in the character drama Mm -hmm. that you would quickly catch on and wish God, that somehow you'd be able to find those issues that you were at at that point. Because <laughs> we were complete. I mean, that was part of the collectability. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I was there a few times myself. And I remember once or twice, uh, my, mom, uh, my mom was a speech therapist, and uh, now she's retired, but she still does some work on the side. And she had, uh, even then, she was doing some private work, and she would have her own kids that she would specifically, you know, do speech pathology for, speech therapy for. And she, she would ask me to go to the store to buy a comic for, for the kid because he was really into superheroes. And I remember multiple times going to the shop, buying an issue, it was usually X-Men, reading it cover to cover, 
and deciding I'd rather have that issue and give her one of my old ones. <laughs> and one one time in particular that I remember I did that was actually the issue where Scott proposes to Gene. Oh, great issue! Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, like I, I just I picked it up and I, I had no idea that it was going to be uh, the issue that it was. But like when I did, I opened it up. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Here, have ha- have one of these. I don't I don't want this one anymore. <laughs> And that's the way that my my comic buying uh, really played out initially. But no, I, I completely agree with you, Sean, because there were a couple of back issues that I tried to get that I didn't get for years afterwards because of that. Yeah, it's funny. Just even nowadays, because I, you know, as I said, I'd pick up one issue and then a couple months later, maybe get another one, and just. But nowadays, I I am actually spoiled now. Where I'm like, <laughs> I want it all. I got to go back and get this and this. And it's I don't know if it's because I have the resources now to do that i'm not going to go back to what i was or if i could go back and do that it'd be a tough thing for me to say okay jim you're only going to get a comic every other month that'd be tough for me to do yeah uh and i i'm finding that myself too because i'm i'm in a situation now where i'm i'm deciding whether or not i'm going to continue buying single issues or going entirely trade or you know just just going entirely digital and one of the things that I've been doing now, because, I mean, as you guys know, Marvel usually winds up uh, bundling in a digital copy with their, uh, with their comics these days uh, right. for most of the three ninety nine books. So essentially what I do is the minute I get my, my package from DCBS now, I take them out of the bag and I put in the, dig- the digital copy so I can read it on my tablet. And I wasn't doing that at first, so there's like three or four months where I, I waited a year. And, you know, you only, have, you only have a year to put in the, uh, the code. So I've got issues like five, six, and seven of random arcs missing there. And it reminds me of when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> because now I have to decide, like, oh, am I going to spend the extra money and, and buy that digitally? Or am I just going to let that sit there and, uh, and you know, read the, uh, the other copy? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll probably just wait for a 99 cent sale or something like that and, and, and do it that way. But, but but no, comics are so much more accessible now than they were. But go, go ahead, Jim. Well, I, I was just going to laugh because I'm sitting here just thinking about, you know, the intros and just beginnings with my ex stuff. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, it was I there was that dramatic difference. But then there was that, you know, the, the team dynamic and just the variations on who, you know, because every week I'd get a different person in there. I'd right. get a different, you know, and sometimes there was characters who came in for an issue that I had no idea who they were, but they had <laughs> long running history of opposed. I guess like, oh, OK, then now I know who these people are. But I can remember back then just going, who is that? <laughs> there was no Wikipedia to check. There was no Internet. <laughs> yeah, I, we're pre-Internet people. Yep. Here, so. <laughs> I find some of that accessibility is a double-edged sword, and, and I'm, I'm starting to break myself past it because what I've found myself doing for the past few years is I've been avoiding jumping on series because they've had long runs, mm-hmm. and I've heard great buzz, and instead of just jumping on at a new arc and enjoying what everybody else has been enjoying and just kind of letting myself find my way like I used to mm-hmm. – I found that I was avoiding jumping on really great things because they, maybe they had two or three trades under them. And I knew that time-wise, not an issue of finances or anything like that, I wouldn't be able to find the time to get caught up. Right. That I was avoiding great series because of that. And now I've just been, I've been learning and 
greatly so learning to be content with just jumping on where the series is currently at you know finding that like nice sort of jumping on point and catching things that i would have previously missed before i do find because of the podcast that we do and it's you know we're i'm keeping up with the entire dc line that i do that more with marvel but the good news is it's getting me back into some really terrific Marvel titles that are out there now that I was missing previously because I'm not forcing myself to say, I've got to read everything. Yeah. Um, it's just more, this is where they're at. People are buzzing about this. Let me see what people are talking about. And I'm finding myself greatly satisfied because of it. And the Xbooks right now in particular, they're launching a lot of new titles. Oh, yeah. So it's it's a good time to really grab a book or two if you haven't been reading in a while and get on board without having to jump back to a lot of content. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's something that uh, I feel that Marvel now has definitely done successfully is that you've only got about, uh, you know, 13, 14 issues under your belt at this point and you can easily uh, mm-hmm. go back and find them again. And one of the things that I actually was really happy to see is that with those Dot Now issues for a bunch of the titles, they actually included the the digital trade for the first six issues with that dot with that dot now issue it's a smart move yeah 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 it really is because then then you're essentially like hey you can pick this up and it might not be a jumping on point but you have the jumping on point included digitally so you've got the first six issues right there for you it's really really smart so so what was it about the X-Men that drew you in initially? Like, was it the diversity of the team, or was it the fact that they were themselves different? Sean? The family aspect. Yeah. Uh, it, it, there was something different in the tone. It was the interpersonal relationships of them, uh, and the fact that the, because they were so different, so unique, each character, it was also that feeling of being outcasts. I grew up a nerdy kid. And, you know, when you're reading a team that, like, is going through their own, you know, trying to fit in with society, Mm -hmm. there's something to relate to about that. You find strength in that. And it was really cool to kind of relate to them. That Obviously, I wasn't going through the kind of prejudice they were going through. (laughs) But, but I mean, there was – I think we all have felt disenfranchised at some point in time in our life. And I think that's a very normal thing that happens to any person. So I think that was, for me, their relatability. It was kind of like, wow, this is how, you know. And I think that's comics at their best. Oh, you yeah. know, they kind of empower you and, and make you feel better about your situation. So it, it's cool. Yeah. Jim, what about you? Well, um, for me, it was the kind of the adult nature of the comics. It kind of threw me that it wasn't just goofy, fun. You know, it wasn't just a, a kid's book. I felt like, you know, reading it, I was reading an adult story. And I think that because, you know. I came from very protective parents who they listened to what music we were listening to. They read what books we were reading. They, <laughs> I didn't see an R-rated movie until I was like 17. That's the way my parents were. They had that protective shielding on us. So with the X-Men, I felt like I was getting away with something because <laughs> it's a comic book, Mom. Oh, let me read it. Oh, here, you can read this X-Men number two that I got when I was in Cub Scouts. Mom, read that one. That's a good example of what we got now. You know, So I was completely fine. You know, Oh, the comic book code. See, it's not on this book but don't worry man it means it's okay it's a comic book so i felt like i was getting away with something so (laughs) me being a rebel (laughs) i I know exactly where you're coming from my first rated r movie was bad boys (laughs) wow yeah (laughs) (laughs) i remember my dad getting it on pay-per-view and he's like come on go ahead and sit down i'm like okay and like wow what's this rated r i'm like i'm a man now 
<laughs> I was alien. Nice. And wait, I was in the room. We had just gotten Showtime, and my dad had friends over, and I was in the room with my dad. Now, for my dad, very similar to the stories here about parents, mm-hmm. my dad was the same way. It was more entertaining to see my dad's reaction. Now, alien comparatively to what R-rated is today yeah, was pretty tame. Sure. But, you know, they started throwing out F-bombs and stuff like that. And, and you see my dad. I mean, that was like my brother and I, the two of us were in the room. We kept looking back at him because that, <laughs> that became the movie within the movie. <laughs> And I, I can I can totally see where 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 Jim is coming from too on the on the comics too because I I did feel like I was I was getting a form of entertainment that I would not be able to get otherwise out of these comics because they were a little bit more mature than than say the books I would have been reading at that time or the uh, or the or the TV shows that I would have been watching at at the time because you know there was violence and there was some. You know, sexual innuendos and stuff like that. Like, yes, I remember fondly the first time I saw Psylocke in a bikini. You know, <laughs> it, st- stuff like that. It was, it was, it was very much a a more adult skewing, while at the same time still being tame enough for kids. Book when I was reading X Men uh, in the nineties. So, uh, and in the eighties, that was that was definitely the case. They were talking to us, not talking down to us. Yes, it was, yeah. that's the way that comic felt. Mm-hmm. At that, they it was a good age to really have a comic doing that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that the X Men really started, and this could be a positive or it could be a negative, depending on how you look at it, is that the X books were really the first ones to to start doing the mega crossover. You know, the the one that. Mm-hmm. You know, started in the main title and then might meander over into New Mutants or then X Factor, and then later on it would be an X Force, and later on it would be in whatever fourth X book was coming out at the time. But there would be these overarching stories uh, that that would all you know try their best to connect, and sometimes it wasn't even with the same creators all the way through, but really they were they were pioneers when it came to that. Like they those first couple of crossovers that came out i mean nobody else was doing that at the time it it was something new and unique and it it worked pretty well for them for a while i always was a fan of those i mean when they first started happening you know and you started having things like uh just for example mutant massacre and stuff like that i remember just being the scale and the scope of it Mm -hmm. was something that was breathtaking i think one of the biggest things and biggest frustrations i always hear about with mega crossovers in general just not just x-men across the board it's a financial aspect of it and and i think that is the reader in us that wants to read all of it yeah you you start looking at well i mean do i have to drop titles in order to do this and i think that's always been kind of the source of frustration more so than the story even cuz the story aspect of it is usually what we like we like the big epic Wow, this matters. The you know, there's characters that die in this one that you know. There's hopefully if it's done right, there's an emotional resonance to what happened. Right. Um, and st- and even if taking death out of it, there's usually major status quo changes. The team loses members. Team gains members. Um, good guys become bad guys. Bad guys become good guys. And usually it's organic in the story. So there's usually a big impact to those things. And I remember that being when the crossovers would come up, there would be a sense of build to that. 
that you as the reader could feel like something big is coming <laughs> and how what is going to happen to my book. You'd start to feel protective of your friends that you were reading about in there. Like, what, what are you going to do to them now? <laughs> Come on. Haven't they gone through enough? Can't they have at least one happy moment? <laughs> it's a Disney World issue of X-Men or something. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Colossus already already lost his sister. You're going to make him an acolyte? <laughs> He lost her multiple times, yes, man. He did. That poor guy. <laughs> or unable to change back, or you know, comatose, or whatever. Oh my god! I feel like of all the characters, I feel I think both Kitty Pride and Colossus have gone through the ringer more than I think any other X Men. <laughs> and it's my all-time favorite relationship. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, you know, I when Kitty came on the team, it was you know I, she was fairly new to the team when I started reading, and I had luckily enough gone back and gotten all the issues from where she started with the team. So I was very into the character because she was kind of the everyman. Like we could be Kitty Pride because she was so new, and you got to see her training and. She was kind of our lens into, well, if I was like in the X-Men, that would be my journey and I would be doing that. But her relationship with Colossus, you know, she looked up to him and had this love for him. We got to see that slowly germinate and she looked at him. I mean, he looked at her, I should say, like the little sister. And eventually that blossomed into something more. And it's always been a very similar to Cyclops and Jean Grey. It's been a tragic relationship in the X-Books. You always want to see them succeed. And when they do, it's fantastic. But, oh my gosh, have they yeah. gone through some tragedy. <laughs> it's it's um, diversity of the powers, but diversity of characters. And it's I think that is one of the big strengths for me and the X-Team, that I do get that Kitty Pride coming in. I get the Kitty Pride, you know, Colossus, and then I'll have a Cyclops stuff, Cyclops gene, Wooly, Storm, Cyclops issues with, you know, leadership. I've got Beast going through his Beast problems. I've got all this, and every character, you know, and the, the really good writers were able to, this is the focus this time, this is the focus here, and they're shifting back and forth. And on one hand, sometimes it's teenage issues, on other sides it's adult issues, and sometimes it's pure superhero-related issues. On Others, it's genocide. You know, they go through the full gambit of the stories, and I was like, "Dang, that—that's I think the thing that's always locked me into how cool the X Men can be." And sometimes it's gambit that goes through the full gambit. But yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of that, when you talk about gambit, gambit and rogue is another great example of yeah. a relationship that you always wanted to see go to fruition. I, it's romance in the X books is something that. And I don't want to say that's the only thing. Obviously, I love all the high action and the character drama and the interpersonal relationships. Those relationships, though, it's a great example of there's always this feeling in comics that you can't take characters through full relationships. I completely disagree. And I think the X-Books are a great example of how you do it and do it right. Or, you know, I mean, and there's been times, sure, where there's been stumbling blocks and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, look, Cyclops and Jean Grey got married, but that wasn't the end of that story by a long shot. Oh, please. After they got married, it got even far more interesting, you know, with the cable stuff and then, you know, the the turmoil they went through because of the fact that they're living in this highly explosive world. And because deep-rooted changes happen to these characters along the way, those are going to have deep-rooted effects on relationships that are either going to adapt and evolve or they're going to fail miserably along the way. And in all cases, it's never clean whether they stay together or 
you know, the relationship vanishes. And there's that twinkle between them, that something that you know that there's still something there even when they go off with other people or something else happens. Oh, yeah. That, that realism to me in character development is pretty essential to what makes the X-Men tick. If you ignore that, uh, and that's where continuity works, if you ignore that kind of stuff, you're doing those books a disservice because I love that. Well, and, and that's one of the things that I feel that X books have ex- excelled in the most over the years is that it's also one of the books that does redemption the best. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, looking at looking at characters like Rogue or Emma Frost, because you're talking about relationships, and one of the most essential relationships over the last couple of years has been Cyclops and Emma in one way or the other. And, you know, years and years and years ago, you would have never even thought to have said those words. You know, they, they would have never come to your lips. Like, Emma Frost and Cyclops? What? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but over the years, uh, they've, they've really made that seem like a viable option. It, in fact, to me, even more so than Scott and Jean ever were. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Emma and, and, and Scott guy all the way. I feel that they work actually a lot better as a team than Jean and Scott did because of... I remember Morrison brought this in as a as a note, and he wasn't the first person to bring it up. And when he did, I'm like, oh, God, that totally makes sense, is that there's a very strong possibility that Jean made the Scott-Jean relationship happen because of her psychic abilities, essentially drawing him in. And that's what I felt that Emma was that's why I felt Emma was the better uh, the better match here is that you know they weren't they weren't magically set up to be a pair like Jean and Scott were either by Xavier or by Jean's means whether they knew it or not and and she screwed with his head too except we were oh, yeah. part of it yeah and I, I'm not discounting what you're saying it's more of a Scott had an awareness that this was going on as right. well which I thought was really interesting because he didn't ignore Emma's powers, mm-hmm. he brought them into play, and Scott often had to deal with the stop screwing with my head. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I I really quite liked that. I'm a Scott and Jean guy myself, mm-hmm. but I loved the relationship with Scott and Emma. I love you know how they still play off of each other. I feel dirty. Way, though, because of the fact that you know it's like you're looking at the relationship that you fell so much in love with and yet then like but oh, I, I do like it with the other woman <laughs> it's great I mean that that adds a reality to it as well because don't we all feel like that with our friends who've moved on sure yeah no I, and I've been there myself in a, in a couple of uh, in a couple of relationships that have uh, that have gone forward and 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 you know split off and then they're and then they're, then they're with somebody else I mean Man, I mean, like, high school drama doesn't disappear after you leave high school, if you put it that way. <laughs> Jim, are you a, a Scott, Scott and Gene or a Scott and Emma? Oh, I'm Scott and Gene for life, man. Yeah, I'm, come on, I'm old school. <laughs> <laughs> I figured as much. But I'll be honest with you, I don't think I've really read Scott and Emma. I've just heard about it. I've never actually owned a book that had uh, Scott and Emma Frost together. I, I would suggest you go back and at some point read the new X-Men that Morrison did. Uh, and that, okay. that's where the relationship first develops. And then from there, uh, you know, it's, it's then cultivated and, and evolves past, uh, past where they had it there. But of, of most recent X-Men, I feel the, the writers that have gotten X-Men the best 
other than, you know, I mean, and yeah, Morrison is, you know, 10 years ago now. I mean, even more than that. So <laughs> I can't even say that, he, that that's recent. But of, of recent X-Men, definitely the, the combination of Brubaker, Fraction, and then Gillen writing the X-Books, one after the other after the other, was a really good run. And it, it was underappreciated at its time because this is when the X-Books were really first getting their favor back in the eyes of people in order for them to, I guess, you know, reach the heights that they then reached in uh, Avengers versus X-Men and, you know, now in all new X-Men. But they've, they, they did a really good job of, I feel, making the X-Books legitimate again after a couple of years of people not having it on the, uh, on the tip of their tongues as something to read. And they, they, they did a really good job with that. Yeah, it's. I keep hearing. It's funny. I keep hearing because Sean will talk every so often about it, and I'll read stuff online and just you know general chat. It when I go to cons and whatnot, and every time I hear it, I always got to throw my fingers in my ear and go la 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 la. Not listening. Not listening because I know I read one issue. I'm in. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm an addict. I know it. You know I. I I got to admit who I am, you know, yeah. and I know if I take one taste, I'm full on in. And next thing you know, I'll be getting all the X titles and then, oh, hey, look, all the Marvel. And that next I'll have like these mountain stacks and my house will just be filled with comic books. I'm like, ah, where'd it go wrong? <laughs> well, just wait for that next Comixology sale and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> buy them for 99 cents a piece and then you don't have to worry about it. Hey, oh, if, God, you want yeah. a good, if you want a good paper version, um, I have uh, – I got the original Omnibus, the new X-Men Omnibus by Morrison when it came out. Nice. They still have it in StockTrades.com. It's 72 bucks, and it's 1,100 pages. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's – no, I mean, but Jim, I'm just uh, – honestly, I couldn't agree with Ian Moore. It's why I looked it up when we were chatting. Uh, that run is – like you don't need any background knowledge in order to do it. Morrison yeah. crafted it that it really is very contained. It feeds into a lot of what we read today, and it doesn't ignore the past, but you really didn't need anything to read and enjoy that run, and it's quietly art. Is highest recommendation, and and not even just quietly. Uh, you also have Phil Jimenez in there for, yeah, for yeah. a couple issues, and uh, Igor Corday, which he was in a bad situation when he was drawing that, but he did a, he did as well as of a job as he could uh, with the tight deadlines that he was presented with him at the time. I'm, I'm trying to think. There were one or Chris two. Ba- uh, Chris Bacello. There you go. Francis mm-hmm. Yu. Yep. Um, I mean, there was a, and the reason why I mentioned quietly, and I'm. I did not mean that. To, I'm glad you mentioned the other artists because I yeah. wasn't trying to discount them. It's that he, the he, was, he started off. Issues, right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And when Morrison and Quietly came on, it was Quietly redesigned a lot of the characters. Yep. You know, there was an evolution of certain characters, including Beast. And it was uh, really dynamic what they were doing with the series at the time. Absolutely. So there's a, there's, it's a, there's a lot of really strong ener- energy to it. Yeah. And if, if you're looking to really hit something where you, it's contained, Jim, because I know what you're talking about. You don't want to get on somewhere right. to read, you know, 87 different things. <laughs> At Omnibus, it's very contained, yeah. and it ends. There's an ending to it. Yeah. You know, it's a good beginning, middle, and ending that, like, you can read something. Set. It's, it's If you it need an X-Men fix, I'd recommend that. There, there's a reason why it was called New X-Men at the time. It, it, it definitely was a completely new take on, on the X-Men uh, for, for that particular uh, time in comics, and I definitely agree with Sean is that they've really 
that was the building block for a lot of the stuff that's happened now. For a while there, they did their best to ignore it, and now I feel they've they've come full circle to try and uh, I guess build in that char- those characters again. And great characters came out of that as well. Uh, like uh, the, the Cuckoos are still in, in X-Men comics today, uh, and they were introduced in that run. Uh, that's where Emma really got her total redemption after Generation X, uh, really integrating herself as a full member of the team. Uh, I mean, really, it, it's, 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 a good, it, it's a good self-contained X title that uh, actually mattered. But she was still Emma. Yes. Like, that was the beauty of it. He didn't make her, like, this clean, good guy. It was, she had a, like, a a real, she had a dirty side to her. I mean, I mean, and I mean, I mean that in a, I mean that totally not in a. um, Oh, sure. Yeah. She had a rough edge. I don't mean that in a sleazy way. I mean, this was the woman who was a part of the Hellfire Club. Mm -hmm. And for a reader who grew up reading those stories and just loving that bad guy character, I loved that he didn't magic wand her into being like, oh, now she's so bright and cheery. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I want to know that this is Emma Frost on the X-Men. And, like, you know, she's going to handle things in a way that, like, matches Emma Frost. I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw a line out uh, that, that you're reminding me of right now. Just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Rick and Ralph. <laughs> And, that, and that's totally that's totally Emma, like it to a T, yeah. right there. Um, s- since we're talking creators, uh, it, hold it, on one oh yeah, second. sure, sure, go ahead. Yeah. I just want to say I hate you both. <laughs> I'm right now on in stock trades. My cart now has. Jim, how much do you love We Three? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, this will be one of those. If you buy it and don't like it, I will buy it again. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> it's that good. I will buy it off of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got uh, it's in my cart now. At the end of the uh, episode, I'll purchase it. So <laughs> I, I have a feeling that before we're done, you'll have at least one or two more trades in there in That's one way or not the other. It right now. Exactly. <laughs> but well, since we're talking uh, creators, uh, who have some of your favorite creators been? And, and if you want to throw in there some of the underappreciated ex creators uh, that have that have uh, been there throughout the years, you could do both writers and artists. That's entirely up to you. But uh, who have been some of your favorites uh over the years uh jim here's the thing with me mm-hmm. when i was reading the x books this this was me as a younger kid yeah i'll be honest with you i don't know <laughs> it was it was the claremont years though i guarantee yeah, you. it's the claremont years so yeah. it's claremont and miller mm-hmm. this will be limited series so you got that whole thing yeah. but i was big time reader in the claremont years so i would throw out and have to throw out claremont but to be honest when i was a kid I wasn't noticing that type of stuff. Yeah. And even even as, you know, like as an adult, you know, an adult reader when I was in college, I still wasn't really looking at the creators. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just reading the books. And it, it wasn't until I started doing the podcast that I really started focusing on, oh, this is it. Oh, this. And, <laughs> and I'm finding because, like, I'll be reading a DC reader and I'll throw in, you know, threw in their names, see what they worked on. I'm like, oh, wow, they were writing back when, or they were working on when I was reading X-Men, or they were, I read his uh, Captain America thing. I read the, you know, and it, it still amazes me. So with the X-Books, I got, I can't say. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll throw out a name uh, for you, Jim. I mean, you just mentioned DC, so I might as well throw this out there, is that one of the most underappreciated X-Writers, of because he wrote most uh, a bunch of 90s stuff, is actually Scott Lobdell. Oh, yeah. Because of, uh, 
he was there during a time where people were not paying attention to the X-Books, essentially. And he was given, along with Fabian Nicieza, a lot of mop-up jobs. Like, essentially, he would go on the book for, you know, maybe five, ten issues and just be like, okay, you know, try to piece something together here. And all while doing that, they picked up a lot of the loose threads that Claremont had either forgotten about or never actually gotten to. Nicieza is the one who decided uh, that Cable was going to be Nathan Christopher, you know, uh, Cyclops' son, because that was a, a nugget that was thrown out there that was never actually uh, picked up afterwards. The the third Summers brother, which becomes sort of in, very important later on in the in the in the X books, was something that was randomly thrown out there by uh, by Wab, I believe Wabdell, uh, if not Nicieza, but. Uh, Wobdell just had solid work there for a while. It was just fun, entertaining X-Books. And he actually did the arc directly before Morrison took over, which was a 100%, we need to fill the gap with something, you know, let's bring somebody on. And if I remember correctly, the art was done by Lionel Francis Yu Yu at the time. And it was just a ragtag group of X-Men that Jean Grey brought together. And uh, half of these characters had never been used again, but they were... Uh, going into Genosha for a mission against Magneto, and and it was just you know it was just solid fun X books that absolutely nobody remembers but me. <laughs> uh, no, me I disagree. I disagree with you. I rem- like when you were saying all that. I was just sitting here nodding my head off <laughs> and saying, "Amen, my brother." I mean, that was like I mean, you were like preaching. That was really a good era, and it does it gets lost in the shuffle a lot yeah. of times where people don't reference it. Mm-hmm. But as a reader during that era, oh my gosh, were they doing some really cool things that you're right, were playing off of threads that we all wanted to see a payoff to. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I was so glad that they took the care to like look at the history of the characters and actually bring them in and address some of these things. Oh yeah. Because that's part of serialized storytelling. So it was amen. It was great stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Jim, what, what, what was let me ask you guys a question. Yeah. Um, when uh, Storm loses her powers mm-hmm. and she has that whole kind of battle with between her and Cyclops as to who's going to be the leader of yeah. the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Who wrote that one? Who was the writer during that period? I Claremont. Think, yeah, that was still Claremont. Okay, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I will say my favorite X-Writer is Claremont because that sequence was probably some of my favorite writing because I remember going into it always being a Cyclops guy. I'm like, come on, you know, I, I didn't I wasn't a big Storm fan. Even when she had her powers, I wasn't a big huge Storm fan. But that whole sequence of events with her losing the powers, then her actually taking Cyclops in a fight without any powers, <laughs> I was like, Wow, okay, you know what? She's cool. Oh, and then yeah. from then on, just I was I became uh, Team Storm. And I really liked where she was going and what kind of character she was. I was like, this is neat. Yeah, and, and Storm uh, led the Morlocks for a while. I mean, or at least she was technically their leader, even if she wasn't there. I mean, she defeated Callisto in, in, a, in a battle, and she yeah. had a really cool mohawk for, for a while. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's, so, she was great. Do you find, Ian, you're asking a good question there about creators. It's funny, when you take a look at how many top-notch people have touched on the X-Men. Oh, yeah. I, I like I'll, I'll throw out some names, but it, it's no way in a comprehensive list of people that have touched the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, you've got Claremont, obviously. You know, that's a John Byrne. Um, you've got uh, Brent Anderson had, you know, wonderful artwork on it. Louise Simonson's. Oh, sure. Uh, 
know, touching on the X books, Peter David, I mean, yeah. <laughs> stuff he did, Morrison, <laughs> uh, you know, Lobdell, uh, Nicieza, you know, onto the, I mean, look at Morrison. You've got today, you've got Jason Aaron doing, I think, just stellar work. Rucka has done amazing work on the X books. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Bendis, uh, what he's doing on all new X Men. I think, I think that book is like out of the park. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I, especially all new X Men. All new X Men injected an entire new life again into the books, and I'm enjoying them more than I've enjoyed them in years. Miller, you yep. know Miller and Miller and Claremont on that Wolverine miniseries. Uh, there's so many people that have touched the X books though throughout the years that have just done. I mean, that's no way a comprehensive list. Uh, you could go on and on and just start. I mean, artist wise, you got Jim Lee. I mean, <laughs> Mark Sylvester, the whole like, image. <laughs> Joe, Ma- Joe Madrera as well, but really yeah. having the first Japanese-influenced art on a main American title. I've got a huge soft spot for the work of Chris Pacello. Mm. When, he st- when he started on the X-Books, it was, you know, we'd have to, after death, after seeing him over at DC doing death, yeah. and you got to see him do some work on the X-Men titles, and particularly the Age of Apocalypse. I was really a fan of the work he was doing during Age of Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, that whole Sugar Man and all that kind of stuff that was going on. I mean, it was, you know, just really terrific artwork. But there's so many different terrific artists and writers who have wanted to play in this sandbox that it's uh, you, it's hard to do a comprehensive <laughs> list because it's really been a who's who. Yeah, well, and, I mean, you talk about uh, Pacello doing a bunch of stuff, Age of, Age of Apocalypse. Brian Hitch. Did, uh-huh. did did work on on Age of Apocalypse back when no one knew who Brian Hitch was. Mm-hmm. He was just starting out in 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 the in the comics there. But my ex creator, and this is again completely because of when I grew up and when I was reading comics, and really what drew me in more than anybody else was Joe Kelly's X Men run. Oh, that was a good run. It really was, and that is another one that's underappreciated. I, I brought it up, actually, on episode 150 when we were talking about our favorite teams, and I brought up jo- the Joe Kelly X-Men. He crafted Maggot into a character that was that was terrific, Cecilia Reyes bringing her into the team. Uh, he did some really strong stuff with Iceman, uh, really working with characters that were not, quote-unquote, top-tier. Uh, Marrow had a lot to do at the time uh, and i know that uh, gambit and rogue were also in there and there were some good space adventures uh, just just overall uh, it, it was it was very 90s but it was 90s in a good way like ac- action wise it, it was 90s it wasn't over the top like some of the other books that were coming out at the time and that's really what i liked about it is that there was very much a family aspect to the x books during kelly's run that might have been missing from other titles at the time did anyone read the current Cyclops issue, that the new book that just came out? No, uh, no, I haven't actually. I, I won't spoil anything because mm-hmm. it's, it's brand, you know, it's brand new. It's it's Ruka doing the writing on it. Oh, great! And um, you want space adventure? It's really good. Nice. It's the new. It's the new. Well, I, it's hard to say the new Cyclops, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's our boy for our time lost boy right. from all new X Men, and it's really, really well done. Uh, Corsair's in it from the Star Jammers, and I'm, I'm not spoiling anything. I mean, that's you open up with that. Right. Um, but it plays off of a great father and son relationship. And for anybody out there who's a fan, I just I, I read it last night and just was salivating. It was really just a terrific book. I read that in Magneto last night, the new Magneto solo, uh-huh. and really enjoyed both. Um, it's they didn't feel like 
throwaway solo series. They really felt like character-driven solo series so far. So it's nice to see that these are being put out there and not being dismissed. They have top te- top-notch creative teams on them, mm-hmm. and they're not just being like, oh, I'll just throw them out there for no reason. I, I really really dug both. I, I, hate, I hate when you feel a book is just out there for the hell of it, and I'm glad that that's not the case with these. Yeah, it's, it's nice, I think, for fans of either either character, which I'm a big fan of both. Yeah. Um, they really get to the core. Amazing X-Men is another title I'd recommend for anybody who missed that one, which features uh, Nightcrawler. Uh, it, fe- it features the whole team, but it's Jason Aaron on the writing. Yeah. And completely phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, he's <laughs> got the guy from Scalped. <laughs> and he, I honestly, I think he has gotten to the core of Nightcrawler in the way that that character hasn't been addressed in years. I mean, I know he was off... Uh, the shelf for a while because he died. Right. But I mean, I, <laughs> but he got better. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did get better. But um, to me, Nightcrawler is always, no matter how dark things get, he's the swashbuckler. You know, there's a swagger to Nightcrawler and a fun factor that should be there in spite of heavy things that are down there. And Jason Aaron gets it. I mean, that's just really good stuff. That, You're killing me, Norge. <laughs> Well, You're killing me, man. Well, no, but Jim, should, I'll, 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 kill, I'll kill you. I'll kill you even more because don't start with Amazing X Men with Jason Aaron. Uh, I'll, I'm going to mention two things here for one Brubaker, one Aaron. That you're going to hate him because I know where he's going. Yeah. All right. <laughs> talk about talk about space arcs. The first Ed Brubaker space arc, which was that, if I remember correctly, his first arc on the X Men uh, when he was writing Uncanny was. A major space epic involving uh, Rachel Summers and Havoc, and I forget who else was on the team at the time. A Warpath was was there, and a, and a bunch of others. And it really is a huge space arc with the Shi'ar involved, and uh, we get a a character which I affectionately call Shi'ar Cloud because he looks just like Cloud from Final Fantasy VII. Only he's only, only he's a Shi'ar. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, he's got the big ass Phoenix sword and and the hair, so you might as well be Cloud, and and that that winds up uh, working really well with the Starjammers uh, and the characters of uh, of of Havoc and uh, and Polaris and Rachel were in space for a while after that, but that was a really really fun space epic uh, to start off Brubaker's run, but Jason Aaron, you you talk about a a a a creator that re-injected life into the series, Wolverine and the X-Men. Oh, is that a great book? I've read every issue of that. So much fun. Fun is the word for that series. You're the headmaster of the the school. Yeah. (laughs) And and I I, I, want to talk Wolverine in general after we we talk about Jason Aaron here, but uh, would you have ever said... To yourself, gee, I can't wait for Wolverine to take over the school. Oh God, you're <laughs> killing me, man! Because, yeah, because because Wolverine fan. So yeah, oh, yeah. So I'm a huge Wolverine. fan. I've always that's something I from day one with Wolverine. When I really started getting into the groove of who he was and just the you know the samurai, just the the animal and man competing with each other, and just yep. everything that he's gone through, you know, in his life, I've always. Him in charge was something that I've always wanted to see. So you're saying that yeah. as you're saying that I'm quickly typing in in stock traits. <laughs> well, uh, he 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 becomes headmaster of the new Jean Grey School for Higher Learning, and, and along with him, you've got 
uh, characters like uh, Rachel Summers as a uh, as a head as as one of the main characters. Kitty Pride is the headmistress, so she's involved very heavily in the goings on. Eventually, you get Storm involved, but my one of my favorite things that Jason Aaron did, he reinjected fun into the title, mm-hmm. and and one of the things he did was the 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 janitor is Toad. Which is great. <laughs> so to- Toad is just essentially walking around in the, ba- in the background, cleaning up the mess that the, uh, the X characters make. And Toad is happy because he actually has people around him that seem to you know, recognize that he's there. And that's one of the things that Toad is appreciating about about being on on the grounds is that you know he doesn't ha- he doesn't feel like he's he's just the wacky off to the side. He actually has a purpose, keeping things neat and tidy. The school itself is on top of a Krakoa. Okay, Krakoa. Yeah. Krakoa. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you remember what Krakoa. He doesn't. He, I don't think. Okay. I don't think you catch what Krakoa is. You no, gotta t- you got to tell him this one. Kr- so Krakoa <laughs> is is the living island that. Uh, "Quote unquote," ate the original X Men, which then led to giant size X Men with the new team and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they essentially went on a mission to uh, retrieve the X Men from Krakoa because Krakoa likes to eat mutants and yada yada yada. This was a baby Krakoa that they found, and it, it just really wanted friends. So <laughs> essentially, it's a mutant. It's a mutant we're island. Build on you, <laughs> and they, we're gonna build our school on top of you, and you're essentially going to become our security. <laughs> oh my god, that is awesome! It's the greatest thing in the world. It's really, really good. <laughs> it really is. And dupe, dupe from the title Ecstatics, it, which is basically just a floating green ball that talks in a language that only dupe. I mean, basically, whenever he talks, it looks like windings on the uh, on the screen. Mm-hmm. Like, and yet, for some reason, everybody can understand him. Um, <laughs> he is the secretary, and essentially, all he does is sit around and sleep and get drunk and and have have really stupid moments. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Milligan and Michael Allred. Yeah, you talk about teams that have uh, have touched on the X universe in unique and interesting ways. Yeah. Ecstatics was a terrific book, <laughs> absolutely, and, and that's and that's the sort of zaniness that you get out of Jason Aaron. You will love, love, love this, Jim. And I think I think there might be an omnibus coming of Wolverine and the X Men, if I remember correctly. Um, don't quote me on that because I know that the first series is now done and Jason Aaron has moved on. But I think I remember seeing on Amazon that they were coming out with a hardcover omnibus edition. But I love the omnibus format. I, I really think that um, it's really a great way for people who missed entire runs of terrific creators to be able to just get that sense of, wow, I can just page, page, page after page. I enjoy them myself to be able to just you know, read a few issues in a sitting, put a bookmark in, read my current continuity books – and then go back to that and read it in chunks. I just I really enjoy being able to sit down and kind of embrace that format. I like that they're experimenting with different ways of releasing comics. Oh yeah, because it doesn't obviously work for everybody. It's a high ticket item, and I get that. But it's nice for you know those of us that want to have that nice tome of a, of an arc that of a, a creator that we really or a team that we really wanted to dive into but maybe miss the opportunity yep. or a favorite run. That we've because I've collected the Claremont ones as they were being released, just yep. because 
it, that stuff had such an impact on me that I've probably got that. <laughs> I've got it in black and white. I've pills. <laughs> I've got it. In, like, I've got the single issue. Like, like I'm. I kick myself at times. I bought the black and white essentials of that. <laughs> Single issues. What is wrong with me? <laughs> we have Why an addiction. Why would I choose to buy a black and white version of this? Oh, God. <laughs> and, and by, the, by the way, Jim, yes. It will be released on June 17th, 2014. It is currently available uh, for 23% off on uh, on Amazon, which means it will be on Unstuck Trades eventually. Uh Wolverine and the X-Men by Jason Aaron Omnibus, including Wolverine and the X-Men 1 through 42 and Annual 1, available for $76.88 on Amazon. Uh, I'm not sure how much the discount is going to be on in-stock trades, but if you want to like bookmark that and, and come back to it when it's out, you probably could. I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, you, you, you've, got a, you've got a mutant brood member named Brew. Which is my favorite creation in recent memory. It's a it's a hyper intelligent brood child, which is which is living at the Jean Grey school, and essentially he is there because he's been outcast by the brood because none of the brood are hyper intelligent, and he doesn't want to hurt people. He just wants to learn. A, I have a follow up episode suggestion on our side of the fence. Mm-hmm. Jim, are you really buying some of this stuff? Yeah, yeah, the one's already in the cart. I'm just waiting until the end of the okay. episode to purchase. There, there's a reason why I'm asking this, because I'll throw it out there right now. I'll throw out the gauntlet. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing as you're going to be grabbing some of this stuff and it's going to be coming in soon, how about we do a follow-up X-Men at, episode at the end of the summer on the Raging Bullets side? We'll do like a pop culture and whatnot. Um, you know, basically Jim hating all of us. Because <laughs> 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 well, I would love to follow up in Jim see your reaction to some of the titles you've been reading on our end for everybody else that's coming we can you know do further reminiscing about x-men Maybe we could have brent join us as well you sure. know if we can work it out to have brent yeah. come and kind of do a follow-up that way but i think it'd be great to talk about jim t- talk about some of the stories that he read obviously we're never going to million years be able to get everything x-men in on this episode oh, of course anyway. yeah so i think there's room to do a follow-up but i think that would be a great lens to kind of hit it with <laughs> as yeah, far as yeah. did you what did you actually get time to read you know without forcing you to do it like organically what did you read and how did you feel about it because you're going to read some of this stuff <laughs> and, and the, the best part of it is is that if he does wind up reading new x-men and they'll probably get me to just take a whole bunch of the volumes out of the library and reread them <laughs> yeah yeah because <laughs> <laughs> uh the, the one of the best things about living in new york is that both the brooklyn public library and the new york public library has a lot of comics available and that's that's how i've been reading a whole bunch of stuff that i wouldn't have bought otherwise i, I would just place a hold and pick them up in my local library and read through it return it bada bing bada boom no no harm no foul really the library is a wonderful resource for comics oh yeah definitely so let's talk some wolverine and then from there we're going to talk a little phoenix saga and days of future past and then i think we can just talk some animated real quick and then i think that'll be it but Wolverine is a character that absolutely has taken off over the years. Uh, I mean, when he was introduced, I mean, come on, he was a throwaway character in Hulk. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody nobody expected the the Canadian short guy with the claws to to catch on to be the character that he was. But because John Byrne is from Canada, he decided he wanted to bring in a Canadian character into this uh, you know giant sized X Men. Uh, and and really build the character into something, and that's and that's what uh, Wolverine has become over the years. And and I feel that 
Wolverine is probably the character people think of first when I think of the X-Men now. How did this happen? Because <laughs> he's the best at what he does. Yes. That's why. But but that's but that's what I'm wondering. Like a ca- most characters have a like a fast like oh yeah they're in the they're in the center of the uh, of the book and then they wind up going off to the wayside, especially when it's a team book. But Wolverine's always been there. Like I feel I feel like there's there have been very few iterations of the X Men since he. Uh, appeared that have not included Wolverine in one way or the other. Sean, what happened? He's just super cool. I mean, he's like, he's, it's like what, what happened with Batman? Mm -hmm. You know, why is Batman one of those characters that you, you like to see how Wolverine plays off of other characters. What's great about Wolverine is if you look at him from just the front, you see this beast like character with claws and violence, but when you over the years, like you, you go to the miniseries, and um, yeah, I mean, you look at it like Cockrum dealt with him, Byrne dealt with him. Wonderful artists really like adapted the the combat style and the history of the character. But the miniseries started to bring in this sense of honor and tradition and history to the character. You know, the Japan saga. Why is that so beloved? Because it showed us that Wolverine wasn't a one trick pony. And you can have him go into this complete beast side where he loses it. He's no longer even human. He's scary. Uh, You know, I mean, to the point where he's almost a complete danger to those around him because of the feral rage. Uh, Because anybody could be caught in the crossfire of Wolverine losing it. But then there is this guy that could be the headmaster of the school (laughs) and and believably the headmaster of the school because he has this sense of honor and dignity. And then there's, you know, his romantic relationships and entanglements, no matter how tragic they've been over the time, Mariko, you know, straight on through to Jean Grey, which may be the biggest tragedy in the world. That stuff just really plays so great into what's great about the character. He's very, very complex at his best. We've seen him powered. We've seen him depowered. We've seen him with Adam Nanium, without Adam Nanium, uh, you know, and evolving slowly more and more beast-like in, to the point where he's then fought back to be the man again that we all know and respect. The journey with him has been so all over. And when the team changes, he's kind of this rock. Which the interesting part is for him to be this like foundation of the team, considering that he was the square peg in the round hole. <laughs> you know, so really, if you look back at his history, he really was the one that was the biggest antagonist on the team. He kept the team from being cohesive at many times. Yep. Uh, it was you know he was the rebel. You know, Scott was like your good guy leading the team. Wolverine was the rebel who was doing everything he can to get under the skin. And you always felt like if you take it to the school mentality, Wolverine was the cool kid in class that you couldn't quite be like, cause like, I'm not going to be that bad. Like, but wow, it's so cool that he can be, <laughs> you do live vicariously through him at times. Yeah. He, he was, he was definitely the, the Fonzie. Of the X Men, absolutely. <laughs> like the character, and, the, and the, like Fonzie, he's jumped the shark at sometimes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Please, I mean, the, the time where Wolverine regenerated from a single b- drop of blood—that <laughs> 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 was a huge jump, jump the shark moment. The time where Wolverine was a acolyte of Apocalypse. 
That was a huge jump the shark moment. But there, there have been so many positives over the years. And, and yeah, it's the character that you least expect to catch on is the one that catches on. You know, Fonzie was the side character in Happy Days, and he essentially became the main character after a while. And that's that's absolutely what Wolverine has, has done over the years. And he's he's changed, and he's grown, and he's adapted, and he's evolved into... Such a nuanced character at times that it's hard to stop reading him. <laughs> you know, there's always a new side to him that you that you're just learning about because he's been around for so many years that he can he can pull that off. And even though we know his history now, it hasn't made him less of a compelling character. Like originally, it was like, who is this man? And you know, now we know he's James Howlett. Like, okay, he has a name. He's still Wolverine. <laughs> it doesn't change that. So yeah, it's 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 crazy what the what the character has gone through over the years. It's 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 great to, great to see too. Yeah, I, it, I was um, for me with Wolvie, it's the fact that this is a true and true hero who was able to, who was willing to kill. I think that for me was the big draw with him. You know, it was you know yes, it's the the duality of the nature of the character and all these cool stuff and the fun catchphrases. But I think for me it was the the shocking knowing that. This is a person who everyone would consider a hero, but he's still willing to kill. You've got guys like Vigilante and uh, uh, Frank Castle, all those, you know, Punisher who are killers and they're vigilantes. You know, this was a person who was labeled a hero, but was willing to do what has to do, you know, for the get the job done. He, you know, would take it to the next level if he needed to. I think that for me was something that really makes Wolverine so out there and so endearing to everybody. There's a but there, though. By the people around him, he was viewed as an animal. And there were those in the X-Men that saw that something more. And he saw himself as an animal. And that was something, that was the part of him that, uh, we had that tough exterior, but inside we saw him damaged. That was, that's something, if you forget that part of Wolverine, you're losing something. It's that damaged person inside who wants to be viewed as a man, wants that respect, not just externally he wants that internal self-respect and he doesn't have it and that's the part when you get to the core of that that there's this guy that when he does this and he goes into feral rages and when he kills and when he does those things he's the best he is at what he does but he doesn't like himself for it yeah that part is incredibly intriguing and interesting and it's not it's even what i just said there is incredibly simplistic to the complication that is Wolverine that and I'm not discounting what you're saying, Jim, I'm adding to it. Cause there's so much to this character that that's what keeps him viable and interesting and why characters are able to reinvent him. I mean, creators are able to reinvent him over the years. Go ahead. And, and I agree completely with you on what you're saying, but I'm saying the, I think the, what was the initial trigger? What was that initial thing that pulled Wolverine into it? And I'm, you know, on the broad spectrum, you ask anybody who's a non-comic book reader, who's a casual movie watcher, who has very little exposure, they will know that one aspect. And I think that's the initial thing that brings you in. And then the complexities and the coolness of Wolverine and what keeps him in. But that initial spark is just that, that uh, you know, that the flip the switch. That's the initial thing that brings them in. And I think, yeah, and we're basically saying the same thing. I know that. So we're, I'm arguing with you while I'm saying the same thing you're doing. But that's just, that's just our nature. <laughs> See, to me, that part 
it's everything you're saying, but if if the character is just surface level like that, then he fizzles. It's the complexity of him that goes beyond that. That's what keeps him viable. Yeah, and that's what hooked me. And yeah. I agree with everything you're. It's great to see the you know, the violence side of him, the killing, and all that kind of stuff. But if that's all there is, you become a the, the, honestly the the character would have been gone by now. It, you know what? It, it reminds me the conversation we were having um, about Blue Beetle with Jaime. Mm-hmm. You think about just you look at the big bulky armor and you think, oh, this is a cool, you know, okay, a tech guy. But then you start delving deeper into who he is, how he's this this kid who's just trying to get his place in the world. And you add to it, he's got different, you know, ethnicity issues. He's got problems. And they started bringing that type of story into him. So there is just this big, broad picture that you see. And then you delve down a little bit deeper. You right. got the big, broad of Wolvie. You delve down deeper. Yeah, start start at start at level one and uh, and work your way up. That's that's the best way to do for a character. Don't start too too involved, or else you're going to confuse people, and they might not be as interested in the character. I can't ignore what you just did. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You, you know the history about Blue Beetle and Brett, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I I know, and you know what? You know what, Brent? It's so funny. It's all it's all for you, man. It's all for you that we just talk Blue Beetle again on an episode you're not on. Suck it. <laughs> I've been looking for an opening all freaking day. I'm like, I love that you turned <laughs> into a Blue Beetle segue. <laughs> was going to when we were talking kids and then you guys quickly shifted on me i'm like dang it i wanted to jump in there. <laughs> gotta work it in somehow <laughs> well t- and, and i'm singing on your podcast no no yet um so uh, uh you know what it's, this is actually a perfect transition into media since we're talking wolverine and i feel that wolverine's been one of the major driving forces both the animated series and the movies themselves so let's let's talk about uh, some of your favorite animated series and and uh, even your favorite movies over the years, and maybe some of the things that haven't worked in either of those, uh, if, if you want to throw that in as well. Uh, well. We'll start with Sean. Well, you know, you mentioned X-Men, the animated series, um, and my, my exposure really to the team goes back to things like Marvel Team Up mm-hmm. and then Spider-Man and his amazing friends. So it was actually before reading X-Men that I was started to get familiar with the characters from X-Men. But that X-Men animated series, when it hit, to see stories that I'd read and loved and adored brought to life. You know, I, obviously they had to make slight changes and things for TV yeah. I com- and for a more widespread animated audience. But I thought overall, at the time, it was very cutting edge for how true it was to the comics. You know, I mean, they really did a good job of taking classic stories throwing them on the screen and connecting the threads together in a way that was very satisfying. We'd be like, wow, okay, I feel like I'm reminiscing more than anything else. So that's a real standout for me. And I don't know, do we want to like, you know, talk, just talk about our experience? Because we, do we all watch that? Oh, yeah. No, no, we all did. And yeah, I, I, we, can, we, can, we can talk about our experiences there. I didn't really watch it. I've, I saw a couple episodes. like, oh, that's kind of neat. But I didn't for, again... I know my personality. I know, you know who I am. So I was like, you know what? I can't because yeah. it was 
the the couple episodes I did see, I was like, man, this is really cool. It yeah. did have that same feel for the comic. Did have that same feel. I could. They had to make changes for television. They can have it as violent and nasty and just as gritty as the X books can get. So they had to clean it up and you know make it friendly. But even by making it watcher friendly, you know, kid friendly, it still had the edge to it. So yeah. Well, and and that's. The entire reason that X Men animated series happened was because of the success of Batman animated series, mm-hmm. but but they're such different animals, and that's that's what I appreciate the most about the two series is that Batman the animated series crafted its own universe. It didn't necessarily delve into uh, the comics too much. It would take characters from it, and it would create its own feel and its own its own mythos, uh, pretty much. What X Men animated series did is that it was a perfect blend between new and existing. You would get the the basic story arcs that you might have been familiar with, like even in the first episode, Jubilee being introduced into the team. That's pretty close to how Jubilee joined the team to begin with. You know, her basically the uh, the X Men out for a day off, and uh, they wind up running in the Jubes, and she winds up joining the team from there, and uh, and that's the way that worked. And even from that first episode, I mean, hearing Gambit call uh, say say Uncle yeah. <laughs> to, to Wolverine, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna like this. And then they did stuff like, like I said, like Days of Future Past, but changing it to make sense with the overall narrative of the show, like uh, it, in, including both Cable and Bishop into the into the series, uh, I felt worked really well with what they were doing there. Uh, essentially, Bishop doing his best to try and uh, stop his world from happening because they didn't have a Kitty Pride on the show. They couldn't really use her as the uh, as the catalyst, so they used Bishop, and that made a lot of sense. Using Forge as well, really well in that in that role, worked great. But it was the Phoenix Saga that they pulled off. Oh yeah, that I felt was probably the closest to the Phoenix Saga that we got in the comics over anything else because. X three was a travesty. Like let's let's admit that. Like it was it was pretty damn bad. I mean there were some there were some redeeming qualities to it, but the entire reason. I mean I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm actually seeing it when we're done recording here. But uh, the basically the entire reason Days of Future Past exists is to sort of make sense of X three in some way or the other. From what I from what I've been hearing, I'll be able to report on that more later on. But what was interesting about the Phoenix Saga that was presented in the animated series is that. Gene lives at the end. They decide that that they're going to redeem her. They're going to re- somehow remove the Phoenix Force from her and take away a part of her powers and let her live. That is the original ending, pretty much, of days of of, uh, of the of the Phoenix Saga. Originally, they had wanted Gene to live after the Phoenix Saga. They were going to remove her powers, and she was going to become essentially a almost a girl Friday to the X-Men. She would be the, you know, she would just be hanging around them and then maybe eventually she would get her powers back. But the editors nixed it, saying that they were let, they were letting her off too easy and they made them change the ending. But the original ending was drawn and it was released as Phoenix, the untold story, if I remember correctly. It was yes. a one shot, which I own and I really enjoyed uh, that it was, you know, such a, different take and there were even some lines here and there that they changed in the uh, in the title it was essentially a first draft of that last issue of the phoenix saga and yeah that's pretty much what they pulled off on screen so i was okay with the changes and it, it was you were getting like eight issue eight episode arcs out of an animated series yeah <laughs> that's that, that's amazing which you know that stuff 
you know, it's, I, I love a big fan of Robotech when that came out in the U.S. Yeah. You know, because I, I loved the serialized storytelling of that. I mean, the whole thing was one giant arc, <laughs> which I'm, I'm a fan of. You know, Star Blazers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great to see that in a universe that I was reading in the comics and loving so much, and seeing it so richly developed. And it was funny to see that version of the ending. Did, um, has anybody seen Claremont's uh, Sequart documentary? No, I haven't. No. It just it it just was released. It's been available on digital, but it was just released. Okay. Like I think that, I think this past week, and I'm, I'm not going to spoil too much into it because it's it's well worth seeing if you're anybody that's a fan of Claremont and the X Men. Um, Louise Simonson is featured in it as well. Nice shooter. Um, and they they talk a lot about the editorial at the time. That decision is brought up in the documentary as well. And it, it was interesting to see it presented from both sides, you know, as far as why that decision was made and the arguments that went on at the time and and, and how it all played out, including arguments over bringing her back. Mm-hmm. Because that's something that wound up, you know, happening much later with books like X Factor, where, you know, she was eventually brought back to life again. Right. And I love when you get to see it. So it's, it's a documentary for anybody listening to this. If, if It's by Sequart, and it's a Chris Claremont documentary that's just been released, and it's well worth seeing if you're a fan of that era and just kind of want to see how all of that played out because obviously that went on for such a long time that there's really rich commentary about the X-Books on there. See, I, I, part of me now wants to see this because I, I did first saw the um, their version of the – Phoenix Saga. Mm-hmm. I never saw any of those episodes, and part of me wants to see it now, but it's weird because I want to see it just because I like. I don't like that ending. <laughs> I, I, I really liked, it, and I'm making the judge based on just how you said it ended. I got to actually see it to say it wasn't good, right? But you know, I really so liked the fact that she had to die, sure. and she died in the comic, and I that to me has always been, you know, because when you mention you know, X3, I was like, yeah, the whole time I'm watching it, if they don't kill her off, I will be furious. <laughs> and I love the character, and I love the actress portrayal, everything they did. I'm like, man, yeah, I, I enjoyed the character, so it's not a knock on her, it's just the way that story was so powerfully written, you know, that I'm like, she's gotta die, you know, I'm to say that, but she's gotta go, you know, so I, I want to see now how they handled it where she doesn't die. And well, you know what? Let's talk about X3 for a second because Ian had one presentation of his thoughts on X3. Yeah. Jim, where are you at on X3? Because I'm I'm catching something there that might oh, be where Okay, you? it wasn't it wasn't as good as the comic, but I didn't hate it. Compared, I actually did enjoy it. Compared to the other two movies, where do you rank X3 yourself? And there's no right or wrong oh, answer. I'm oh, curious. compared to the other movies, it's on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy the other movies much more. You know? X-Men but, Origins Wolverine is on the bottom for me, but that's uh, <laughs> that's because that was a poopy poop poop. Oh, that's, see, that's a cuff call for me to say which one. Uh, you know what? I'm going to... I'm actually going to probably put X3 underneath X uh, Wolvie's Origins. Okay. <laughs> Even though it's a tough call because there was some stuff in that one that just angered me. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, um, but with the movie, I thought it was, I liked some of the action sequences. I liked some of the character developments. I, I really did enjoy some of the visual stuff with, oh my, Stars and Garters. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, have you seen uh, The Wolverine yet, Jim? Yes. Okay. Have you seen the director's cut that was on no the i have not seen the director's cut i've oh. only seen standard oh my god it is so 
like it is amazing how by including a few extra scenes, it makes that movie so much better. And I mean, I enjoyed it in the theater. Don't get me wrong. It's just the director's cut is ten times better. One, it's unrated, so they can they can curse, they can put in as much violence as they want, as much violence as they want. Um, there's an extra uh, fight scene actually when they're at the love hotel. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to Wolverine just passing out, there's a whole fight scene with the Yakuza that they include in there in the, in the director's cut, and uh, and Yoriko. Uh, or is it Yoriko or Mordiko? I always I always forget. Uh, I get the right. two confused in my head. Mordiko. There we go. Um, wait, wait, hold on. Are you talking about who? The love is interest. Uh, it's it, it's it's Mordiko, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yoriko is is that strike. Now you can blame the animated series for that. They combined her into the same character. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Mordiko uses her uh, sword, uh, essentially her knife throwing capabilities, which was brought up later in the movie, to. Uh, take out the Yakuza members from the balcony of the Love Hotel to the street where they're having their fight. Oh, cool. And it's it's really cool, and it shows that Mordico can more, that she can handle herself pretty damn well, I mean, even without Wolverine's help. And there's also a a fight scene later on in uh, when when the, the big battle culminating leading up to Wolverine getting to the uh, getting to the castle. With all the uh, ninjas and everything, yeah. Um, there's there's extra stuff with Yukio in there where Yukio is driving a snowblower and uses it in a way that is kind of freaking awesome. <laughs> I can imagine right now. I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't want to give that a hundred percent away. It's just it really they just they add stuff to it that works so well. And this is the cut of the movie that I prefer. Definitely, and, and there's a and there's an alternate ending uh, on the Blu-ray that uh, that it was included on the uh, on the Blu-ray set. It, it's not much of an alternate ending. It's just you get to see one more cool thing at the end of that of that movie than you were expecting to see. So oh, cool. def- definitely see that when you get a chance. Uh, if if you haven't yet, anybody out there for that matter, director's cut is just a better movie. I'm trying to think through my ranking of the movies. I'd probably put First Class at the top because mm, yeah. I really, really, as an X-Men film, I mm-hmm. really, really liked that. Wolverine, the director, you know, the, the director's cut, I agree with you. I think that would be my very close second yeah. um, just because I really enjoyed that. The first X-Men movie would be third. The fourth would be the second. The fifth would be Origins Wolverine. It's funny when I when I talk about X3 and Origins Wolverine, I've got the same problem. Yeah. It's and it's a lot of what Jim was alluding to. There's chunks in both yes. that I like really liked. Right. And there's parts in it that were very broken. Um <laughs> but I mean, but the chunks in and of themselves there were like some moments where I was like, "Oh yeah." You know, so I don't like hate either film. I don't love either film. I'm and it's sad because when you see those chunks, you see the potential of what could have been. Oh, yeah. And that I think I'm more – I get frustrated because if there had been better connecting threads and maybe some choices that it were slightly different, both could have been great movies. Yeah. Um, X3, the big mess with X3, too much was going on and there wasn't enough developed on some of the things that I would have really liked seeing developed. So I, I would – I guess I would put Origins uh, slightly ahead of that. <laughs> I, saying though that they have the same problem, they, they do. Really yeah. Do. See, X three should have been two movies. 
is what they it's what it was. They tried to tackle too much in a single movie. Same problem that that Spider Man three had. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we've seen from like the the Twilight movies, we've seen from Harry Potter movies that these studios can say, hey, we have these massive stories. Let's split them into two parts. People will go see them. Yeah. Because if they would have done that with either of those two movies, we would have had a dramatically different story. And I think it would have been incredibly – it would be a lot better. I, I, think, I think I rank the movies uh, – I'm trying to think now – probably uh, X2 first in my right. head just because of how much better it was than the first one for me. I mean the first one was good. It's just this one was the, the typical like second movie. We've got the origin out of the way. Let's just have some X-Men fun. That's what I love about X two, and Wolverine actually gets to be Wolverine in it. Like he, you know, he's he's cutting things up left and right. <laughs> that, that was badass. Uh, X Men Origins, uh, so, no, my mistake. X Men First Class would be uh, number two, uh, followed by the Wolverine, followed by X Men, followed by X three, and then X Men Origins Wolverine. Just because I'm a Deadpool fan, and. I liked. I really liked Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, and then yes. they went and did what they did, <laughs> making him into you know X Weapon Twenty Three or whatever it was, Weapon Thirteen. Sorry, Weapon Thirteen. Essentially, shutting up Deadpool. You don't yeah, do that. The best that. part about the character, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you don't you don't take away Deadpool's ability to snark. Yeah, the, that's where I talk about chunks. Yeah. yeah, because everything with Ryan Reynolds up till that point mm-hmm. was really well done. I yeah. liked him yeah. in that role. So it's when I compare the two movies, X three and X Men Origins Wolverine, I, I take a look at that and go, "Wow, Reynolds was really good up until that poor choice." Yeah, and, and the and um, the poor choice to do the Green Lantern movie after that. But you know, um, uh, <laughs> well the. <laughs> that's another one. The director's cut for me changes things. Yes, though, yeah, I'm gonna okay. have to say. All right. I haven't seen it. I'll have to at some point. Yeah. It, the other thing with, you know, as we're throwing out the, the problems with the Deadpool, <laughs> the thing that, one of the things that annoyed me was his, the one, his, his, the dual sword spinning, spinning, you know, cool move he was doing, he did throughout the movie mm-hmm. up until the end. Yeah. They changed it so it's now embedded into his flesh and yada, yada, yada. He couldn't do that same maneuver anymore. <laughs> so one of his best attributes one of his best defensive and offensive weaponry they took away yeah i was like what why would you do that and one more time on it when you call a movie x-men origins wolverine and you almost spend as much time introducing other characters as you do with wolverine himself that's not a good idea (laughs) if you're gonna call it x-men origins wolverine have it be about Wolverine. That's why the Wolverine is so damn good. Yeah. Is because they don't they don't try to shoehorn in five hundred other mutants. You know, I mean like I'm 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 disappointed that one of the things I liked about X-Men Origins Wolverine is Gambit, and Gambit is there for four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that was good casting though. It was good casting. Uh, we'll see about the the recast on on Gambit uh, and how that works out. But it, it brings me to uh, to one more story that I'll tell about X-Men Origins Wolverine, and then we can talk a little bit about Days of Future Past and call it a wrap. One of my favorite things, my, my girlfriend's uh, mother is eh, pretty much, I mean, she's a geek in her own ways. I mean, she's, she's always been into Star Trek. Uh, that's how Chris developed her love for uh, for Star Trek and things like that. And and she does watch the, the, the Marvel movies. 
and she's seeing, uh, I believe, a trailer for X-Men Origins Wolverine, and Gambit comes on the screen, and she turns to Chris, and she goes, wait, Gambit? That's not right, is it? <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. that, still one of my one of my favorite moments <laughs> of the last couple of years. Like, yeah, yeah, Gambit is not right for an X Men Origins movie. <laughs> He's not a part of the origin. The positive is though, if you consider they've made six of these movies, mm-hmm. right? Four of them were pretty much the same. Were great. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. You know I mean, um, two of them were saying, uh, you know, I mean, to varying degrees that, uh, wow, questionable choices. But I mean, overall, as far as rewatchability, the other four that we mentioned, I honestly love rewatching. I think they're really terrific movies. Mm -hmm. So we're lucky as X-Men fans to have that kind of content because I would have never dreamed when I was, you know, there was rumors for so many years of an X-Men film, going back to when Claremont was still on the book. Yeah. And it never came to fruition. So it's great that I think we're seeing Hollywood comic films get closer and closer to the actual foundations of the comic content. And we've been very lucky that a lot of these X-Men movies were released prior to that shift, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And we've got some very satisfying releases in this batch, which is really good. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, like like you said, it, it's a good it's a good percentage. <laughs> considering the era, considering the era where we've gotten films that um, outside of the X Men universe that weren't necessarily true to the original product. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Um, and and like that 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 brings me. I mean, some of the animated series that I only half watched after the animated after the first X-Men animated series like uh, X-Men Evolution I could never really get into uh, I, I know plenty of people that did and, and they find it uh, you know one of their favorites but it just it wasn't I think it was just the wrong part wrong time of my life to try try and get into a new animated series like I was, I was uh, you know just getting into high school and everything and I wasn't really as into watching a Saturday morning cartoon and it just didn't work for me tone wise uh, Wolverine and the X-Men, the animated series, not the book, was was pretty good. It I wish it had gone further because they sort of left it hanging there. But they by the time we got to season two of that, it, it definitely improved quality wise. And uh, I feel that they were going towards a, uh, a good end point there that we never got to see because of uh, a whole bunch of different reasons. But, you know, that didn't really work out. And the X-Men anime, I've only actually seen one or two episodes of. But obviously, the best X-Men animated that I've ever seen is Pride of the X-Men <laughs> with Australian Wolverine. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've never heard this. <laughs> it, well, that, was, that was the episode of Spider-Man, wasn't it? Uh, no, yeah. it, it, it was well, not. It was not, actually. There was well, a there was a one shot that was released after that amazing amazing friends it was technically the pilot for a x-men animated series that never got picked up that spider-man and friends with the that uh, x-men in it i was so even as a kid i was so angry at that wolverine because i hear the australian accent i'm like 
what the heck? He's Canadian. You know? <laughs> and uh, this was when I was a kid watching this going, wait, that's not the right accent. You know? <laughs> I, I want a piece of fruit. And he shoots <laughs> a claws through the fruit. I still remember. And I, I still get angry at that. I, I'm, I'm going to put a link into the uh, into the Skype chat here so you, you guys can watch it after after we're done of that pilot. I've seen it. I, I mean, it's... Um... I don't know. I don't know if Jim has, so that's why I, I, I put I it in not there. Seen it. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it essentially the uh, the big baddies in it, if I remember correctly, are are uh, Magneto, Juggernaut, and maybe one other. But it's you know it's it's eighties animation done in the same style of Spider Man and his Amazing Friends. It just it never got picked up the series. So this is you the know, one. You know when that they, came they, out, they Jim? That was the year we graduated from high school. Yeah, <laughs> that was when that aired. It was in eighty nine. I I I was. Uh, I was not. Were you graduating. born yet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was five. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's. Let- I, I'm going to admit this. It's throwing myself under the bus at the time because you got to understand there was like nothing. Yeah. I liked it at the time because it was X Men on TV. Yeah. Uh, and I say that with the caveat that I agree with the criticism. <laughs> Because <laughs> you rewatch it now, it's one of those things that doesn't hold up at all. Oh, yeah. Because of so many good things that have come afterwards. But at the time, when you didn't have anything else, it was like a full-blown animated exclusive X-Men. And I, I don't know why I kept linking it to Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I always did. And I think it was just because... Because, the, because the, the, X-Men, the X-Men showed up on Spider-Man and his amazing friends. That's why. And it was the same right. voice cast. Right. That, okay. So that's where I'm getting yeah, the yeah. length. See, I but, thought that was before '89, dude. To be honest, I thought that was no, 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 no. Hold on. We're talking about the the pilot. Aaron okay. Aaron. Okay. This was not on Spider-Man as Amazing Friends because I, I was connecting the episode of uh, Spider-Man as Amazing Friends with this. After Ian explained it further, I knew what he yeah. was talking about. Now, mm-hmm. um, it was they basically right before the animated series was released. In in eighty nine, because it was the I remember it vividly because it was our senior year in high school. They released this one shot, and it was like, you know, it was the idea was to gauge interest, I guess, in in doing a full blown series. And it was cool to see them, at least for me, you know, to see them in a full X Men only animated because previously it had been Spider Man as Amazing Friends. That right. was it. That was the only time. So I looked at it as progress. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, like, wow, we're moving forward and recognizing these characters can hold their own. Yeah, and then, and then three years later, we got X Men the animated series, and it was much better. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's night and day in comparison. Oh please. But when as a singular piece at the time, seeing it air, that's why I'm putting the caveat. This is how I saw it. It was like '89. Was like, wow, they actually did this. That's cool. <laughs> I hope people like it because maybe we'll get more. Let's let's put it this way: the X Men arcade game was a better animated uh, X Men than X Men Pride of the X Men. Yes, <laughs> and that was, I loved that arcade game. That was fun, and it had all the same characters in it that yeah. Pride of the X Men had. So there you go. <laughs> I want to touch on real quick the storyline of Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. and how important that has been to the X-Men mythos and comics in general, because pulling off a two-issue arc like that and making it matter as much as it did in the X-Universe and still thought of today as one of the best X-stories of all time, that, that, was, that was incredible for its time. It was cutting edge at the time. Okay. I read the single issues. Yeah. Um, that was, and honestly, 
after jumping on 160, when I started going backwards and grabbing things, that was one of the first arcs I was able to grab. And I use arcs loosely because, you know, mainly it was just one big ongoing story in the X-Books, you know, at the time. But that story in particular just blew me away because I hadn't read anything like it. You know, where, where your future was so impacted by the present day and choices that were being made there. And this idea that things that happened in the present could have such drastic ramifications to the future. Like, you could go back in time and change this. That kind of stuff was fantastic. Oh, yeah. No, I, it, go ahead. Well, to this day, I wish... See, I would read that through borrowing it from people. I actually didn't... I never actually owned a copy of it. I had a friend of mine who was reading the X-Books and would let me borrow the books after they read them, and I'd read them. And to this day, I wish I had actually purchased that just because it was such a, a cool story and all that, that played out throughout all that. Well, it, it's funny. Uh, the way that I read it, uh, I picked up the uh, the trade paperback a while back. They've had many, many printings of this over the years, but when I initially got it, uh, I didn't realize it was only two issues because I'm like, oh, they came out with a trade paperback of Days of Future Past? Okay, I guess I guess it must be longer than I thought, not realizing that the trade paperback actually has all the all the lead-up to Days of Future Past in it. It has issues 138 to 143 and then X-Men Annual number four. So really, you're getting all of the post-Phoenix Saga stuff, including the first, the introduction of Kitty Pride. The uh, the wonderful issue of uh, of Kitty trapped in the mansion with the uh, with the aliens and trying to trying to fight them herself. There's a couple of Alpha Flight issues in there, and then you get the Days of Future Past. And I'm happy I got all that lead up because it it got me in the mood for this X Men, you know, with with Claremont and Byrne. But then the two issues of Days of Future Past themselves, getting that much story into two issues, was incredible and. You're completely in, enveloped in, in what's happening, and you understand why this story is, you know, kept the test of time, and really that it's still referenced as much as it is today. Like even in in the Battle of the Atoms story that just happened, like you could tell that you know without Days of Future Past, I doubt Battle of the Atom would have ever happened. You know, with with uh, with X Men coming from the future to to change the past, it's a, it's a very similar archetype. Obviously, pulled off entirely different in Battle of the Atom, but I, I love Days of Future Past. It's terrific, and the art, the 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 burn art is just, you know, yeah. outstanding. And you'll actually find non comic book readers who are fans of the genre mm-hmm. will know the basics behind the story, right? Just because, like, I've got people at work who they, they've never read a comic book in their life. They've only seen the movies, and they've only just general, just uh, you know, pop cultural and whatnot, but. They know they have a basic concept of what's going on in the next movies coming up, and I've actually been able to even have some conversations with them about it. And they've never read the book, so this is a story that non-readers, you know, know about. That you know, just the regular norm, the the muggles out there, they know about this. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, what do you call them? <laughs> Uh, the normals, <laughs> which is essentially the muggles. So yeah, bing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it, it is. It is one of those things that's uh, it, it, that's also been referenced so many times in other in other medium, both on the on the on the actual cover of the book. I mean, how many times now has that motif been used elsewhere? 
with the uh, sure. with the poster and the slain and apprehended and and you know on the loose and everything with the two characters directly next to it. That's been used so many times since in so many homages over the years, and it's that's how you tell something is is, is extra special is when people go back and they respect it as often as they do. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. All right, any uh, any final thoughts on on the X books? I know that there's plenty of stuff we haven't touched on, but we don't have seven hours. So, <laughs> any, anything anything else you guys want to bring up? <laughs> yeah, it's not a standard Raging Bullets episode. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sean, you got anything else? No, it's uh, like you said. There's so much more you could touch on depending on what topics you go in. But I, I really just a uh, a fun discussion talking about uh, just a. A series of books with such huge impact, and the ability to keep, ev- <laughs> for lack of a pun, evolving over time. <laughs> I mean, because it really is what I think makes the series work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, and I haven't said it enough uh, in this episode. Please go out there and read all new X Men and Uncanny X Men, yeah. the current the current titles because they yes. go they they tie into each other the most out of all of them. And specifically, when it's available in trade, which is pretty soon, I'm pretty sure, pick up Battle of the Atom. It is the best, and I mean the best, bar none, crossover of the X-Men I have read in the last 10 years. Bar none. Jim, Jim, you'll hate me for this one, though. Um, The the regular X-Men series... Written yeah. by Ryan Wood. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I I don't want to discount that because it's really terrific. Yeah, and, and that's one, <laughs> and, and that's one of the things that works so well about Battle of the Atom is that even though there were distinct voices and different uh, series, they all felt like they were one cohesive unit. That's what's so great about Battle of the Atom because X Men crosses over in the, into that, Wolverine mm-hmm. and the X Men crosses into that, and it's all written by Jason Aaron, Brian Wood, Brian Michael Bendis. You can't get better writers than that. Combined in one guys. story, I, 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 we love we love you too. <laughs> <laughs> Battle of the Atom, huh? <laughs> yep. Bat- Battle of the Atom, definitely pick it up. And Chris Anka art on X Men, and now moving over to Uncanny X Men. I am so happy he's picking up steam. He is one of my favorite artists today. He is so damn good. He essentially has redesigned just about every costume in the in the Marvel universe over the last couple of years. Like that new Wolverine uh, costume. Is is Chris Anka? Uh, the new Storm and Psylocke outfits are Chris Anka. Just about all the X Factor outfits are Chris Anka. He he has a real eye for style, and it it and his actual sequentials are just as good. And balance and balance of like keeping the right feel and tone for the character. Absolutely. Because sometimes you can go too far, mm-hmm. and the character becomes unrecognizable. He the really really good talent at like like you said. Adding a new flair and style to it, while at the same time it stays familiar. Definitely, yeah. And I've I've got his fancy dress uh, X women print on my wall right now. So that's uh, and it's staying there for a long time to come. Jim, you got any final thoughts? X Men, X Men, mutant born X Men. They have powers that are cool. Look out, you're not bad guys. Here they come. Woohoo! Here come the X Men. I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> And there's your Jim singing for the uh, for the episode. So I think we've officially gone full circle. <laughs> I was pretty convinced we were in trouble when he said super duper in the beginning. So it was... <laughs> uh, which... oh. so 
Final note, serious final note. Yeah. X-Men Battle of the Atom hardcover. Mm-hmm. It's on in-stock trades. Uh, it's uh, $28.99, regularly $49.99, 42% off. Excellent. The reason I, of course, know this is because it's now in my cart. <laughs> And, and and Wolverine and the X Men will be once it's available in June. So once it's available in June, that'll be in as well. So. Awesome! Yeah, <laughs> fantastic, <Thank> you guys. <laughs> You're welcome. Your wallet is happy now that it, it has less money in it. Uh, <laughs> Sean, not that you have anything to pimp at all, uh, but uh, would you like to pimp something? Uh, no. Um, other than you know. Check us out, Raging Bullets. Raging Bullets. Oh, right, Raging Bullets. Right. Yeah. Do a podcast every week uh, (laughs) on comics. (laughs) Um, We actually do do um, some episodes uh, periodically called Pop Culture and Whatnot, where we step outside of our DC hat, but mainly um, very similar to what we did here. It's it's a week to week love of comics, and uh, we just pick out books that we want to chat about for the week and have a good time talking about what's great about this medium. Fantastic. And and guys, it's it's been way too long, and uh, happy to have you back on. Yeah, and actually, um, for those who don't know our history, Ian is uh, one of the architects that got me involved in podcasting um, way back from the Geek Speak days. So it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We, I can't believe we've known each other as long as we have. It's been like, it's been like a decade, hasn't it? Uh, it's pretty close, yeah. No, it's, yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> that time flies fast. I'm, I'm looking up. I'm looking up right now when that uh, when that episode of uh, Geek Speak was released because if it, if it hasn't been a decade, it's really close. It's really really close. I'm waiting for it to load right now on my really really old website, which I really haven't updated in a while. <laughs> Ian is my ambassador of Quan. Oh, for reference. <laughs> <laughs> That episode was, let's see, Showcase Spotlight came out in November. I think this one was uh, December of 2005, if if memory serves. Okay, so we've been almost a decade. Yep. Yeah. yeah, But but we met each other before that. Yes, yes, we did. Yes, we did. Yep. At CGS 100. Yeah. Uh, Time flies, my man. Time flies. Once again, sponsored by DCBS Discount Comic Book Service at dcbservice.com, and it was March 2006. That's the official time the Showcase Spotlight came out. I'm looking at it right now. It was episode 25, so there we go. Close. Close. Close enough. It's a whole bunch of uh, good discounts to be found at dcbservice.com. You got 50% off on Marvel and DC trades. You've got 40% off on your Marvel, DC, Image, and Dark Horse books, plus some 50% off and 75% off deals here and there. You can check them all out, and uh, most indies are there for uh, for decent discounts as well. DCBService.com, we thank them for their sponsorship, and use their Comixology store. I cannot stress that enough. If you want to get extra savings on your books, that is a damn good way to do it. The email address for Comic Timing is comictiming at gmail.com. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash comictiming. That's our main source for Comic Timing Conversation. We're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network over at comicspodcast.com and the League of Comic Book Podcasts over at comicbooknoise.com slash league, which I think is still a thing. I haven't checked it in a while. <laughs> but uh, so, last I checked, Derek Howard still had that up. So, uh, so if not, uh, then you know, still enjoy Derek Howard stuff. So there you go. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. So, for Sean Whalen, for Jim Segulin, I mean, let us see, reminding everybody out there that there's always time for comics, bub. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, it's available on Amazon in, in paperback for uh, 1976. Okay. If so, you're not Jim Seglin, click here. It was there the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it's 60% off. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you know, it's uh, once he's super duper, it's done. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> I, on that note, I gotta go. <laughs> I've got a line, and that's mine. But he's gotta have one, and that's mine. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's fine. <laughs> we can certainly all carry an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if we're a little longer than that, that's fine too. I'm, I'm, my pickup's not coming till one thirty, so uh, so I'm 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 good on that. We're going to a three thirty showing in Sheepshead Bay here in Brooklyn. So uh, I, I had to get Raph one more one more taste of. Uh, there's this great seafood joint in Sheepshead called uh, Jordan's Lobster Dock. Ooh, nice. Yeah, and they've got great fried lamb sandwiches and lobster and uh, and clam chowder and all this great stuff. And I gotta come out your way at some point. We gotta um, do that. Oh, I mean, definitely, that's yeah. absolutely, man. If you're ever here, that that's that's one of the places I take people. It's it's, it's in the it's in the absolute middle of nowhere, Sheep's Head Bay. But the best part of it is that it's directly next to the movie theater. Love it. <laughs> that's cool. Yep. I'm going today to see it. I, I'm dying to. It's um, nice. the rate. I mean, the reviews have been really great for it, it so far. Overall, 